and worry about that. And so, uh, and then we've had a, a bit of an episode this morning. And so, um, uh, is everybody's heart okay? Real good? All right. Well, let's read God's Word together this morning. As we've just sung about, it's a sure word. Every promise is true. And uh, everything about it is flawless and perfect. And so, let's look to God's Word for a few moments together this morning. I want to begin in John 17, pick up where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read down through verse 19. This is Jesus' prayer, and we've sliced this prayer up into three segments. We looked at the first five verses last week. We'll look at verses 6 through 19 um, this morning, and then, Lord willing, we'll look at the last segment, uh, verses 20 to 26 next week. But here's God's word for us this morning. Here's what God says. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that you and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. We, we know that there's no word like your word. Your word is eternal. Your word is eternally true. It is your word that spoke all things into existence and holds all things together. And so it is to your word that we now look, the very word that we've just read, that by the very spirit who moved John to pen these words, that that same spirit would be 
at work in our midst, in our hearts, that we would see wonderful things from your word and that you would change us through your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This second segment of this prayer. Jesus has been teaching his disciples and beginning in chapter 13. This is the very eve of his arrest and crucifixion. And he's been having a very personal, intimate conversation with his closest followers in order to instruct them, in order to encourage them. And now he wraps up that conversation here in chapter 17 by praying for them. And in so doing, to instruct them further and to encourage them further, to equip them for the life that they are now being called to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whereas the first five verses, the focus of the prayer was primarily about Jesus, and, in, and yet what he does for his people, this, this second focus, this second movement here in the verses we've just read is, is the focus is primarily about Jesus' people. There's two things I want us to note about verses 6 through 19. The, the first thing he does in approximately verses 6 through 10 is he identifies, he, he gives, if you would, a primary characteristic of his people. See, all throughout this segment, he's been bouncing back and forth. There are his people, and there are the the world, the people of the world. And and yet, as we motor through this, the glitch is that even his people experientially start out in the world. And so part of what we're going to see in our passage this morning is how does his people come out of the world? How are they brought out of the world so that they are now his people? And, and, yet, and yet what is this chief characteristic, this, this identification marker that, that is a line of demarcation that says, ah, this person is no longer of the world, this person is of the Lord because of this characteristic that is now indicative or true of them. And then in verses 11 through 19, he he intercedes for them and uh, prays in in a particular way, and that we'll notice what that is when we we get there. All right, so lay your eyes on verse 6 and verse 9, just what we started reading this morning, because I think here we find the primary characteristic of God's people. It says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to, to the people. Now, when he says, I have manifested your name, I've told them about you. I've pointed them to you. I've revealed them to you. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. We all start out in that realm, that sphere of life. And, and yet the characteristic here is these people who he's praying for in this context are no longer in that realm or that category. And we can tell because of the primary characteristic that he's about to, uh, to list as the identification marker of God's people. He says, yours they were, continuing in verse 6, and uh, you gave them to me and, uh, and they have kept your word. 
you could, you could underline that or whatever you don't highlight that. But the, there is what we're talking about in terms of the chief characteristic of God's people. We can tell who God's people are in the sense that God's people are the ones who are alert and sensitive to what God says. These are your people because, how do we know that? Because these are the ones who have kept your word. He, he says that in another uh, from a slightly different variance, variance or angle in verse 8. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. I know what you told me to tell them is what, I'm, what I've told them. Um, and, uh, and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Do you see that? We look at verse 8 and verse 6. What is, the, what is the identification marker of God's people? How do we know we've crossed over from the realm of death and condemnation uh, to, and, uh, and, the, and the evil one into the, the kingdom of his beloved son? Well, not that we earn our way into that kingdom, but we certainly give evidence to the fact that we now are in that realm and that kingdom. And the evidence is we hear God's words and we believe them. And we follow God in light of what he says. His people. God's people. Demonstrate by their responsiveness to God's word. That they belong to God. Now, throughout John's gospel. Um, Jesus has, has given uh, a plethora, a whole bunch of testimony that he has been sent by his father. That's, that's language we've just been reading about. Uh, he, he has been, and he's told us time and time again throughout the Gospel of John uh, that, that he was sent by the father to accomplish the work that the father has sent him to do. And the purpose of such an assignment uh, was that um, people would embrace the truth concerning who Jesus is and who his Father is and to the relationship between Jesus and his Father. For instance, take a passage like John 5, verse 36. Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he said, For the works that my Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You guys have been watching me, he says, and you've been seeing what I've been doing, how I've been teaching, how I've been ministering, how I've been healing. What do those things suggest? What they, they prove that I have come from the Father, just like I told you. Or he would say in John 4, 34, my food, and that was the very thing that energizes me, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was sent by the Father. We noted this last week in the first part of the prayer. Jesus was sent by the Father to rescue a people. To lift a people out of the realm of the world, out of condemnation and, and out of bondage to sin and out of, out of captivity to the evil one. He's, he's come to rescue people like us from such an existence. And he came and, and, and so doing he taught and he ministered to bear witness that he is from the Father, the one sent to do this. Or even the very thing he said last week in the early part of the prayer in verse 
2 of chapter 17. Since, speaking of himself, since you have given him, the Son of Man, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Think about this. If you're here this morning and the Word of God is precious to you, the Word of God is not something that's a trifle. It's a, it's a sidebar in your life. But, but it's something that is, is uber important. It's front and center. It practically drives the way you and I think and feel and speak and relate and prioritize. Then that there, that sort of mindset, that sort of heart posture is an indication that we are those who belong to Jesus, that, that we are a composite of the people whom Jesus has laid down his life for, the people that the Father has given to Jesus. Now in time and space, come to see who Jesus is. We hear his words and we respond to him. Now that's an amazing, uh, amazing transformation because of the two realms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ, if a chief characteristic of the kingdom of Christ is it's, it consists of people who hear God's words and believe God's words and follow God's words and obey God's words and listen to God's words, then a chief characteristic of the world is they have little to no interest in listening to God's words or believing God's words or following God's words or obeying God's words. And here's the clincher. Of such were some of us. That's the stock that we came out of. And if we gather this morning with an inclination in our hearts of we love the Word of God, we, we want to know what the Word of God says, we, we want to trust in the Word of God, then, then we gather not as an act of self-congratulations. We don't gather to pat ourselves on the back and say, look how smart and pretty and special I am that, that I, out of all of the, the rest of humanity, was pretty enough and smart enough and wise enough to know to pay attention to God's words. No, we don't gather to congratulate ourselves. We gather to celebrate the grace of God that has intervened in our lives. If it wasn't for the grace of God you and I would still have obstinate hearts. We would still say, God's word? I don't need that. That's silly stuff. That's archaic. That's that's of a bygone primitive day. I'm sophisticated. I got me an edumacation. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus not only testifies that he has been sent by the Father to accomplish the work the Father has sent him, that is to rescue a people for them, but throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches his people who, who, have, been, who have been drawn out of the world that we are transferred from the one realm and so we are no longer and, and transferred into another realm. And so we are no longer defined by the world's refusal to listen to and to follow and to believe and to obey the word. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, verse 47. Whoever is of God, how do I know if I'm God? How, how do I know if I'm from of God? How do I know that? What Jesus tells us, whoever is from God hears the words of God. And then he says this very startling, strong statement. 
And the reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. That's a mouth stopper right there. He's talking to some people who who don't want to pay a lick of attention to what Jesus is saying. And he's reminding them that that they are not their own little sovereign entity controlling their own shots. They are not the the master of their own will and the captain of their own fate. Uh, that, That they just don't listen because they're not God's. Or he says it this way in John 10. I told you. And you do not believe. In other words, I told you what to believe, and you said, nope, I'm not going to believe that. And then he says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because. So here's the reason why you don't believe. Because you are not a part of my flock. Then he says this. In verse 27, John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And in the next verse, he says, And I give them, I give them, my sheep whom I know, who hear my voice and follow me, I give them eternal life. Oh, these are strong words. But we're explaining, how did we get out of this realm into this realm? How did we get out of, how, how did we switch from being people who had no interest in God's word and hearing what God says to now people who say, I love God's word. I, I want to know what it says. I, I, want it, I, I want my life to be ordered by God's word. John 6, Jesus said this, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. And yet, then he says in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, whoever does believe in me has eternal life. Let's not play silly stuff. Let's not play games this morning. None of us can say, now wait a minute, Joe, I think I followed your thought, which is a miracle in and of itself, but you've said that the reason that any of us would start to hear God's word and respond to God's word is because God does a work of grace in our hearts to transfer us out of one realm into the other realm. And so, so Joel, are you suggesting that, 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 that I am not responsible for my unbelief, that, that, that I could just be passive and then blame God. and No, because the Lord says, everyone who does believe has eternal life. Those are the terms. Those are the requirements that it begins with listening to what God's Word says. And if you're here this morning to say, I don't want to listen to what God's Word says, that, then, then you are culpable for that. You will answer before God for that. There's no getting off the blame game and passing the buck to God. God has brought you here in his kindness. He's given you life and breath. And we've even seen this morning that we don't even take that for granted, that you have life and breath this morning. In an instant, you can stop breathing and be in the presence of God. 
We are here by the kindness of God. He has brought us here that we would hear his word and we can either take that and go, yeah, it's not for me. Or we could say, Lord, you have spoken. I see who Jesus is. You see, a chief characteristic identifying who God's people are is God's people have a, they cherish in their hearts the word of God because that's the way we, sh- we demonstrate a loyalty to, to, and a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is big because this, on the one hand, there's nothing new. On the other hand, things just get a little, bit, a little bit more out of kilter and lopsided. But we live in a day and age in which people who profess to belong to Jesus adopt ways of life, adopt ways of thinking that are in utter contradiction and conflict to the Word of God. And, and people have concocted a scheme in their own brain on how they can say, oh, I, I'm a Christian, I belong to Jesus, um, but uh, um, I just happen to disagree with how Jesus feels about this. And you know the big issues that, that are, are rampant in our day and age. People who profess Christ have skewed concepts of what gender means. They have skewed concepts of, of what sexuality consists of. They have skewed concepts of justice and order. They have skewed concepts of economics and politics. They have skewed concepts of the preciousness of life. You see, to, to name the name of Jesus means that we live under his lordship. He has rescued us from our sins, and and you and I no longer have a right to profess a belief that is in contradiction to the Word of God. All that we do when we contradict the Word of God is to suggest and demonstrate we ain't gods. We don't belong to the Lord Because we have no regard for his word. We have not kept his word. We've not paid attention to his word. We've not listened to his word. We've not embraced his word. And we just fly out on our own and opinionate and opine the best we could figure out or the best the world tells us how to figure it out. We can't do that. The chief characteristic of God's people is that we heed God's word. We have settled convictions about the truthfulness and the sufficiency of God's word. We believe that it is enough, it is more than enough to tell us everything we need to know about how to think and about how to speak and about how to feel and about how to relate and about how to prioritize because it's God's word. Well, that's enough about the identification part. Let's look briefly for a few more moments about the nature of this intercession, the ways that, that the, the way or the ways, it's really one way, but it's multifaceted that Jesus is now praying for them. He says there in, in verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given to me. And I would say that you've given to me out of the world. He said that in the context. Um, for they are yours. So this, here's the particulars as to how Jesus has offered up this prayer. Look at the second part of verse 11. 
This is the first component of how Jesus in particular is praying for, for us this morning. Holy Father, do you see that there in the second half of verse 11? Holy Father, and do you see the nature of that request? Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Do you see the interplay here? The chief characteristic of God's people from verses 6 through 10 is they are the ones who keep the word. And now the chief prayer here is that they would, in essence, keep your name. In other words, keep loyalty to your name through the word. Or he would say it in another variation in verse 15 of the same. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. They are no longer, we are, we are no longer um, uh, of the world's uh, uh, ilk, uh, but we still reside in the world. That's what he's differentiating here. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We are not of the world, but we're still physically living here, aren't we? This world is still under the temporary control of the evil one. It's his home, temporarily. And he's in charge, or so he believes. And yet the particular prayer is that to keep them in your name, Father. Keep them belonging to you. Keep them loyal to you. And yet so doing, to keep them loyal to you, we would, we would keep them from the evil one. That, they would, that we, that they would be protected from the evil one. Now, this has been a crazy year, hasn't it? 2020, it's just like, you know, like, okay, so what else is going to happen? We're going to say, well, of course, yeah, why not? You know, put another one on there. But, and, but one of the things that we've learned this year is how unsafe and unsteady this world is, how crazy things can get, that, that if we go to the grocery store, we might die, that if we go to downtown St. Louis, we might get shot. I mean, we, we just realize how, how flimsy and how unstable uh, the, the world is, how unsafe it is. And, and I, I hate to pop your bubble, but it is more unsafe than you think it is. And particularly what I mean is we are told in Scripture that there is a spiritual battle that's going on. We just see the the physical dangers. We don't see half of the spiritual dangers that's occurring right now, this morning, this very week. We're going to be pushed out of our safe little homes, which, again, hate to pop your bubble, ain't too safe either, particularly from spiritual attacks. And, we're, and we're, we're put out into a harsh world that is ruled by the evil one who has minions of evil ones that wish to harm God's people. This is what we're talking about here. To keep us from being paralyzed with such Oh, it's worse than I thought. Joe's scaring the children. To keep us from being paralyzed, and I'm not trying to be completely um, uh, silly about this, is that we are held in the Father's hands. 
by Jesus who is holding us. And Jesus is pleading, I would suggest to you, because we're told in Scripture that even on this morning he's at the Father's right hand interceding, I am suggesting to you that even this morning he is saying, Father, keep them in your name. Father, this, remember the thing I said before I went to the cross? Keep them in your name, Father. Father, Father, remember what I said before the cross? Keep them, protect them from the evil one. I think Jesus is still offering that prayer for his people. Do you see how that should ignite us and give us fresh confidence? Not self-confidence. That's a delusional reality. But confidence in the power of Christ to do what he's lifting up to the Father to do, to keep us from the evil one. That, That doesn't mean we're careless, but it does mean we're not consumed with the abject dangers that lurk in spiritual corners and in unseen realities. We are still present in this world. It's where we currently reside. But we, praise God, have been lifted out of that realm and we now belong to an entirely new realm. And among other things, not only does that suggest how well protected we are, but we ought to be a cross-cultural people. We ought to be a bit peculiar. We are exiles living in a foreign land. And in that sense, we ought to be counter-cultural. Why? Because we are to be the people who are walking to the beat of a different drummer. We are to be the people who have got this strange notion that it is Jesus whom we will listen to. It is Jesus whom we will follow. It is Jesus whom we will obey. It is Jesus whom we will trust in and believe. He's got us. He's got this. And he's got our backs. We are the people who identify with Jesus because we have a relationship with him through his word. And he is the one who is in essence saying, and Father, keep it that way. Keep it that way. You see, we are kept by God. We began with God. It is the grace of God that will safely get us home. It was the grace of God that taught our hearts to fear and to believe in the first place, to know that we needed a home to be getting to. Many of you have maybe heard of a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century Baptist preacher from London. In his 57 years, he's done more than probably 200 other Baptist preachers have done. So he's a mere mortal, and, and yet God used him greatly. And in his autobiography, um, he, uh, he was kind of contemplating on how it was that he came to Christ to begin with. And I'll preface it like this. He said, when I was coming to Christ, this is Spurgeon talking, I thought I was doing it all myself. I thought I had sought the Lord earnestly and had no idea that he was first seeking me. Then he goes on, he says, and... um, one night when I was sitting in the house of God, so when he was in church, the thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, he answered. But then another thought came, how did you come to seek the Lord? 
The truth flashed across my mind in a moment that I should not, have, should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, I thought, but then I asked myself, how come I to pray? I was induced by, by, to pray by reading the scriptures. How come I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? And then he says this, then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And and so the whole doctrine of grace opened up for me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. I point that out because when Jesus prays here, keep them, Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them in your word, This is not a flimsy prayer that we hope will somehow kind of sort of maybe possibly work out. This is the prayer from the one who is not only the author of our faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us he's also the perfecter and finisher of our faith. He's the one who, as Paul would say, began the good work in us. And he's the one who will bring it about into the day of completion. So we ought to be encouraged, as dangerous as this world is, and as, and as dangerous as we don't even know the half of the dangerousness of it, in terms of the unseen realities of spiritual battles that are going on, and the attacks and the assaults of the evil one. We don't even know half of it, and yet we do know this. We are being prayed for by our Lord to keep us from the evil one. And, 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 and another variation of that is to keep them, he says there, that you have, back to verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one just as we are one. Now, certainly it means that we are kept individually as individual followers of Jesus Christ, but the emphasis here is that we are kept one as a collective, as a community, as a family that the assaults and the attacks of the evil one would like to divide and conquer and, and separate us and cause our hearts to grow weary and, and weak. And, uh, and, and yet it is even, even our Lord who's praying not only that we get home, but that we get home together as a pack or a flock. We're not a pack of wolves, I hope. We're a flock of sheep. Yeah. Anyway, bad symbols, yeah. But we are protected from the pack, if you would. Yeah. But then there's another variation. Skip down to verse 17 for a second, and I've got to finish this up quickly here. The other variation of, Father, keep them in your name, is is another dimension of this truth. Verse 17, another particular of this request, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is one of those Bible words that we're like, huh? Why do they talk like that? Uh, and, and certainly, the, the word sanctify is related to the word holy. And cer- certainly, to sanctify somebody in the truth certainly relates to um, the moral direction of our lives. It, it, it just as sure as it relates to how we would adhere to and, um, and, um, and uh, order ourselves according to the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the Word of truth that gives us what that holy path way looks like. But, but there's a deeper sense of the word sanctify. It doesn't just simply mean uh, a moral direction of life. It's, it's not just a moral term. It's 
a relational term. To be holy is not simply to be moral. To be holy is to be set apart relationally unto God. So so it certainly relates to holiness. It certainly does. But even more importantly or more uh, deeper, it relates to devotedness. So when he says sanctify them, Father, keep them devoted to you. And yet he adds another twist in verse 18. We are no longer of the world, but we still live in the world. And then then he adds this as he prays in 17, sanctify them, set them apart unto you. And then verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we're still in the world, we're no longer of the world, and yet... Just as the Father sent Jesus, so now we are sent into the world. Not to belly up and to be as chummy as we can, to be like, as much like the world as we possibly can, can manage, but to, but to be that distinct, peculiar people sent into the world on a mission. The church is to not be in retreat mode. But as the Word of God orders how we think, how we feel, how we live, how we act, how we relate to one another, and how we speak. We are being deployed in those peculiar ways to bear witness. We are being redeployed for a mission. It's a rescue mission. Because as he will allude to in the next segment... While he's praying for his own, he's still got some more from the world to gather in. Well, who's going to do that? We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light that we might be his witnesses to testify to his grace. That we were once a people without mercy, who now been given mercy. That we were once a people who did not belong to God, who are now a people who belong to God. And as sure as we've been separated unto God, we have been separated unto God to be redeployed in a mission that we might watch God use our feeble testimonies, our weak and foolish words, that those words might be reflective of the very truth of God's words, and that God might use people like us to see others rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And so I wrap things up with what Paul told Timothy as a witness bearer to a crooked and perverse world. And the Lord's servant In this context, that'd be you and I. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may, that God may, that God may perhaps grant them 
Give them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Where did God find you? God found you as a captive to the evil one in this world. He rescued you out of that kingdom by His grace and did a a change in our hearts that we now hear God's Word and follow Him. We now trust in Jesus. God did that. And now God is deploying His people whom He did that for to be His witnesses that we might give testimony to Jesus Not in hostility, as hostile as they might be to us. Not in a haughtiness, as haughty as they might be in return. But in gentleness and in humility and in kindness that we might simply take the words of God that we hear, that we believe, that we follow, and that we might declare those words to others that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to eternal life. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the kind work that you have done in us, that you have set us apart by your grace, that you have done a work in our hearts so that we now see who Jesus is. You've opened our eyes. You've released our wills from captivity to the evil one, and you have brought us to Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you that now we belong to Jesus. Thank you that now Jesus is praying for us that we will be kept in him. And Father, as the world seemingly becomes crazier and crazier, may we become wiser and wiser. May we become more at peace. May we be filled with greater wisdom. May the kindness and gentleness that's evidence of your spirit permeate everything we say and do to people around us. Use us, Father, for we pray this in Jesus' name.